0: This is just going to be a quick and overdue update episode about the Brianna Taylor case that I first covered in the summer of 2020. Today, we're just really going to focus on the developments over the summer and the autumn and catch you up to where we are now. I recommend listening to the first episode before this one because I'm just assuming you know the basics of the case and what we covered, and I'm not going to be recapping. Before we get to the grand jury, which is the biggest update of all, and the one I think most people want to hear more details about, we're going to go through some of the developments over the summer of 2020 after I released the episode. About a week after my episode came out, back in June, the incident report from that night of Brianna Taylor's shooting death was released. So I want to cover what was in that really quickly, and it's going to be really quickly because there's not much in it. It is labeled a death investigation. Under the section for forced entry, the no box is checked, even though the police used a battering ram to get in. Then under injuries, it says none, and that is not a checkbox. That is typed in. Brianna was shot multiple times, yet the incident report says no injuries. But under the weapon, it does list handgun. The bulk of the report is redacted, and the box where the events are typically described is blank. It just says PIU Investigation, meaning Public Integrity Unit, which is the department that investigates officer-involved shootings. Some look at this incident report and the incorrect information in it, and they say this is shady. This is an attempt to document as little as possible so that a narrative could be formed later. Others see it simply as sloppy. The official stance is that the errors were a technical glitch as a result of the reporting program that they used when they created the paper file. The mayor of Louisville said that the report was unacceptable and that it was things like this that erode public confidence in the police department, which I think is a fair assessment when you read up on people's thoughts over this incident report. There were changes made in Louisville over the summer, particularly to policing the city banned no-knock warrants. A new police chief came in. A civilian review board was formed that would look at police disciplinary matters. Body cameras were ordered to be worn during all search warrants because that was an issue here. And the mayor promised just more transparency and accountability on the part of the police department. So the next major news story to hit in regards to Brianna Taylor's case had to do with the terms of some plea deals that were offered to Jamarcus Glover. He was the person at the center of the drug sting. If you remember, the reason the officers even went to Brianna Taylor's apartment was because they believed Jamarcus was hiding drugs, money, or both in her home. None of these items were found, by the way. But Jamarcus was arrested that night, and in a draft plea offer that was made in July, but reported on in late August, Brianna was named by the prosecutor as a co-defendant, which is impossible. She was deceased and therefore could not be indicted and therefore could not be a defendant. What they meant to write was that she was a co-conspirator which also is not appropriate because they absolutely failed to prove that was the case. They found nothing in her apartment to indicate she had anything to do with this drug business. Jamarcus refused to sign any deal that implicated Brianna in anything. This was seen as another attempt to spin the narrative, because if Jamarcus signed something saying that Brianna was one of his accomplices or conspirators, then the search warrant on her apartment would have more weight, would be more justified. There was a rumor that Jamarcus was offered probation if he signed the deal that included Brianna's name, but was facing 10 years in prison if he didn't sign it. And that is actually not true. There were a few drafts of plea deals sent back and forth. Most of them did not have Brianna's name attached, and every single one of them had the same sentence. In all cases, they were basically offering him 10 years. Now, this is part of an issue with this case from the start. Honestly, there's just so much to criticize here with how things did happen and hold people accountable for what did happen, the policies in place to allow it to happen. There's plenty there without allowing rumors to muddy the water. Okay, so now we are to the grand jury, which met in September 2020 to hear what happened that night and to determine if any charges would be brought against the officers who were there, and the three main ones being John Mattingly, Miles Cosgrove, and Brett Hankison. Only one, Brett Hankison, was indicted on any charges, and none of the charges had to do with Brianna Taylor. He was charged with three counts of wanton endangerment. These charges were directly related to the stray bullets that went into a neighboring apartment where three people lived. As my friend Michael, the host of the Unresolved podcast, said, the only charges were for the bullets that missed. Hankison was also fired because of his actions that night. He shot into Breonna Taylor's apartment from behind closed blinds. He had no idea who or what he was shooting at. He is the only one of the three officers who has been dismissed from the force. His termination letter said that he showed extreme indifference to the value of human life. The indictment for just the bullets that went into the neighboring apartment sent a very clear message to the public that the grand jury believed the shots that went into Brianna's apartment and into her body were justified. Except the grand jury, or at least three members of it, did not agree with this characterization of their decision they accused Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron of basically pushing off blame onto them. One filed in court to have the grand jury tapes released to the public to show that things were not what they appeared. Grand jury proceedings are generally sealed for a few reasons. One, they want reluctant witnesses to speak freely without fear of retribution. And the other main reason is that they don't want evidence that may be against an otherwise innocent party out there. It protects the state's case and any potential suspects who may end up not being indicted. In the end, though, the grand jury tapes from Breonna Taylor's case were released, though they only included things that were considered evidence. Non-evidence, which includes the prosecution's instructions, to the jury, were not recorded, therefore not released. And we will come back to that because that really is the crux of the issue here. But let's talk about what we did hear, and then we will get to what we didn't hear next. The grand jury met over three days about the case. This was only one out of dozens of cases they heard in their time as a grand jury. And from the start, this case was different from the other cases presented. The juror said that in all of the other cases, the state told them what charges they were seeking at the top and then presented the evidence. In this case, the state did not present any potential charges when they started. They just jumped into the evidence. The jury went over the police interviews with both witnesses and other police officers. They listened to the 911 calls and they met with the detectives who did the investigation into the shooting. And what we really learned from these proceedings is that the police and Kenneth Walker, Brianna's boyfriend, have two very different recollections of what happened that night. Kenneth said that he and Brianna heard pounding on the door and they yelled, who is it? but they got no response. Then the door burst open and Kenneth, believing they were dealing with some sort of home invasion situation, fired a shot. Then a barrage of bullets came. From Kenneth's recollection and his point of view, this all happened very quickly. But the police say that they did announce themselves multiple times. They knocked for about one to two minutes with increasing volume. Now, the New York Times had already interviewed 12 neighbors, and only one said he ever heard the police announce themselves, and he only heard it once. So one person out of a dozen heard any announcement at all, and he only heard it once. When no one opened the door, the police used the battering ram to break it open, Hankison said that they expected a single unarmed woman in the home and instead a shot was fired by Kenneth at them. It hit John Mattingly in the leg. Miles Cosgrove was behind him and in a recorded interview played for the grand jury, he described a chaotic and surreal scene. He even said that if you told him that he did something that night, he'd probably believe you and if you told him he didn't do something, he probably would still believe you. He said that when Mattingly was hit, he had to step over him to move forward. He also said there were flashes, like all these gunshots were happening. But the truth is, all these gunshots were from the police. Kenneth Walker only fired once. It's not clear if those flashes that are in Miles Cosgrove's memory were from his own gun or if it was flashes from Hankison shooting blindly into the apartment, and Cosgrove was interpreting it as them being under this massive firestorm. Regardless, Cosgrove shot into that apartment that night, whether he fully remembers it or not, and the FBI has determined that the fatal shot came from his gun. Regardless of anything else that happened, Miles Cosgrove is the person who killed Brianna Taylor. Another thing the grand jury heard was a radio call where Hankison shouted that someone in Brianna's apartment had an AR, meaning an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. But there was no AR anything found at the scene. We don't know what, if anything, Hankison saw that made him believe this to be true. He was behind closed blinds, so it's not even clear how he saw what he thinks he saw. So in some ways, the grand jury proceedings being released only have left me with more questions. But there are a few questions about the case that have been cleared up through the grand jury proceedings. We keep talking about this no-knock warrant, and the police did initially have a no-knock warrant against Breonna Taylor's house. However, they did change the plan to knock and announce prior to going there, and there is no debate that they did knock. That has been verified by witnesses. Even Kenneth Walker says they were pounding on the door. The question is, did they announce themselves? That's still a debate. We have 11 neighbors and Kenneth Walker saying they didn't hear it. It's clear from the 911 call that Kenneth made that he still didn't know they were police even after the gunfire had stopped. And it's really on the police that we don't know if they announced themselves because they could have worn body cameras and they did not. Another issue that has been reported was that Brianna did not receive any medical attention for 20 minutes, and that is true. It wasn't until Kenneth called 911 to report that someone kicked in their door and shot Brianna that the police outside even knew someone had been hurt the paramedics actually drove off with John Mattingly with his gunshot wound to the leg, not knowing there was someone else injured. The county coroner has said that he does not believe Brianna Taylor could have been saved, even if they attended to her quickly, but they didn't know that at the time, and she still laid there for 20 minutes. The tapes do show that the grand jury was probing. They were at times skeptical. They didn't sit back and passively accept what was being put before them. They asked questions. They asked if drugs were found in her apartment, which they weren't. They asked about inconsistencies between officer accounts of what happened. They asked the questions they were supposed to ask. They did their job in that regard. The biggest thing in dispute surrounding the grand jury proceedings were the instructions to the grand jury and what they could or could not do. And this is the part that was not recorded. The Kentucky Attorney General Cameron said that the grand jury has broad powers. They could have brought back any charges. He said in a press conference that there were six possible homicide charges and the grand jury agreed that the police were justified when they shot into Brianna's apartment because Kenneth Walker fired first but that's not what the grand jurors who have spoke out say happened they said they didn't even hear of the six possible homicide charges until this news conference saying they agreed not to indict on any of them they did not believe certain actions were justified and they said that there was actually what they characterize as an uproar among the jurors when the prosecutors only presented the three charges to them in regards to Brett Hankison. They asked the prosecutor, is that it? They wanted other charges and were told that the state couldn't make any of them stick because the police were justified. According to these jurors, the state decided the shooting was justified, not the grand jury. This news conference that basically laid the blame on the grand jury was the reason that first grand juror came forward and filed to release the tapes and to be allowed to speak out about what he says really happened. Two other jurors have since joined him, but i make it clear they are not representing or speaking for everyone on that grand jury. They are only speaking to their own experiences, perceptions, and recollections of what happened. These jurors don't want Brianna Taylor's family to think they agreed that what happened was justified. They believe that things in Louisville and in the country can only change and healing can begin only with the full truth out there. But they do not believe the three indictments against Brett Hankison were enough. They don't think it's enough justice and not enough was done. So where do we go from here? We have grand jurors who have the responsibility to indict or not indict say that they actually don't think the shooting was justified and they would have indicted on more charges if the state presented them to them. So shouldn't that count for something? But it doesn't. There is no do-over. Calling a second grand jury is very unlikely to happen. There would need to be new evidence, and it is at the discretion of the attorney general. This is someone who seems to believe that the killing of Brianna Taylor was legally justified. If you remember back to the other episode, Kenneth Walker was arrested for shooting John Mattingly, but the charges were dropped. He has since filed a lawsuit against the officers and some others charging that he was the victim of assault, battery, false arrest and imprisonment, malicious prosecution, abuse of process, and negligence. His side is even challenging that the bullet that hit John Mattingly came from his gun and not from the other two who were also firing. Kenneth believes that the charges against him were knowingly bogus from the start, and they were being used to try to cover up Brianna's murder, to try to keep him quiet. In October 2020, Officer John Mattingly filed a countersuit against Kenneth Walker for assault and battery. He wants damages for medical bills, trauma, pain, and mental anguish related to being shot. This will very likely turn into a stand-your-ground challenge since Kentucky does give people the right to defend their home against intruders. Were the police considered intruders? And then we go back to the question of did they announce themselves? Did Kenneth know they were not intruders? Did they make it clear they were not intruders? But that is all civil court, the only criminal case going forward is Brett Hankison's case for those three counts of wanton endangerment. He has pleaded not guilty, and I will update on his trial when it happens. The maximum sentence he is facing is five years. Hankison has also recently been slapped with a civil lawsuit claiming he sexually assaulted a woman he gave a ride home to when she was intoxicated two years ago. The lawsuit claims nine other women have similar stories, ranging from unwanted sexual advances to sexual assault. Hengison did have two official police complaints along these lines, but an internal review cleared him on both. And I want to be clear that these are civil complaints, civil charges. The formal police complaints were handled through internal affairs. That was what cleared him. He was never charged with these crimes. The cases never went to court. So there are really no allegations of sexual misconduct or assault against Hankison that have made it to the point of being charges, let alone convictions. These are all still just allegations. While Brett Hankison appears to have quite a few legal battles and a lot of court time in his future, absolutely none of this will get us any closer to justice for Brianna Taylor. And it seems like justice for her specifically and personally may not happen except possibly in civil court. But her family and the people who have rallied around them are working to change the laws and policies at police departments to prevent this from happening to someone else. A large amount of money has been donated to the family, and they are using a large portion of this to begin the Brianna Taylor Foundation that will fund youth programs and scholarships for those in healthcare. Brianna's family said that she had a long list of things she wanted to do with her life, things she never got to do, things that were taken from her, through, no fault of her own. They hope that the foundation will help others who have similar dreams meet their goals. The details of the foundation are still being worked out, but if you would like to donate to the cause, I will leave a link in the show notes.